March 22nd, the Reverend Dr. William J. Barber II and the Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris, co-chairs of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, hosted a webinar with faith leaders across the United States on the moral and theological basis for nonviolent moral fusion direct action. The Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, is uniting tens of thousands of people across the country to challenge the evils of systemic racism, poverty, the war economy, ecological devastation, and the nation's distorted morality. We're launching the campaign in over 30 states with 40 days of nonviolent moral fusion direct action on Mother's Day this year. However you identify in terms of faith and spirituality, we invite anyone interested in joining the campaign and participating in the 40-day launch to sign the pledge at poorpeoplescampaign.org where you'll be connected to the organizing work happening in your state. Well, hello, everybody who's on the call. Um, this is Reverend Dr. William J. Bob II, the president and senior lecturer of Repairers of the Breach. Uh, and I'm on the call this evening um, as the co-chair of the uh, Poor People's Campaign. Uh, and that's the call for a moral revival. Um, and on the and on the call with Reverend Dr. Liz Seal Harris, uh, who can introduce herself now. Indeed, good afternoon. This is Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris, uh, co-director of the Cairo Center for Religions, Rights, and Social Justice at Union Theological Seminary, and very proud to be co-chairs with Reverend Barber of the Poor People's Campaign and National Call for Moral Revival. Thank you, Liz, and thank you to Steve for setting this up, and Robin, and all of the people. I understand it's over 300 on, and uh, we've tried. We've asked folks to mute um, um, their calls. Steve, can you still hear me? Yes, sir. Great. I'm glad that religious leaders have number one uh, signed up for what we are calling 40 days of action uh, to shift the moral narrative in this country. Uh, um, we are deeply troubled by the uh, kind of Christian nationalism and national religion that has for many years, not just in recent history, uh, and, and, and in fact has a deep history that goes all the way back to what Frederick Douglass called the slave master religion or what Kevin Cruz calls the spiritual mobilization of the 1930s that uh, came out with a brand of religion that said, if you're good, it's because you're moral. Uh, if you're good, you'll be rich. If you're bad, uh, you'll be poor. And therefore, um, it was really personal morality, not the immorality of systems of injustice uh, that uh, um, um, formed around 1930s that was deeply funded by corporations to attack the New Deal, for instance, of, Frederick, of um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Or you could talk about the moral majority. You could talk about the uh, um, the 700 Club. We could talk about recently uh, Franklin Graham spending over 10 million dollars going around the country, basically teaching that the vote for God was the vote Republican, and the only major issues, the moral issues we ought to deal with, is being xenophobic, Islamophobic, uh, anti-war, anti-gay um, people, anti. Uh, abortion, uh, pro-prayer in the school, pro-states' rights, pro-gun rights. Uh, and we see it even now in how quiet so-called um, uh, 
uh, white evangelism and evangelical. I don't like to use that term because I'm an evangelical and I don't think evangelicalism in its truest form is black or white. But for the sake of conversation, how quiet they have been in the recent struggle, the challenges to assault weapons and guns, uh, but and, and how quiet they have been in critiquing the NRA and how quiet they have been when it comes to health care. And somebody in my tradition said, if Jesus stood for anything, he stood for free health care and he never charged a leper a copay. So, you know, we, we, we believe that if we have to have a shifting of this moral narrative. Um, we've seen groups come together, our brothers in the Jewish community, Unitarians, Episcopal, Methodists, and so on and so forth, who have said they're going to stand with poor people for this season, this launching of a poor people's campaign, National Call for Moral Revival, uh, what Liz calls a season of nonviolent moral diffusion, direct action, a season of voter mobilization that will continue, uh, continue beyond the 40 days and the season of building power from the bottom up. And we have been traveling across the country, Liz and I and our team. We have uh, been in poor communities from, from state of Washington to Alabama. We've seen mothers crying who, <clears throat> who have raw sewage in the back of their yards and their children have to uh, uh, play around it. The mothers whose children died, the uh, child died because the state refused to uh, expand health care and so much of the church and religious community was so silent. Uh, we've seen people who are willing to do commemorations the Dr. King but, uh, and, and, and the movements of the past, but not engage in action. Uh, and we have, have heard the cry from poor people <clears throat> that we need a movement with poor people, not for poor people, uh, to stand up in this time. We're launching um, 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 on Mother's Day to the summer solstice and then on June 23rd and June 23rd, a massive sending forth and solidarity rally just left Nashville with over 39 states, people from 39 states who are engaging, plus in the District of Columbia. And we're so thankful that in this season, uh, so many religious leaders are also showing interest and are willing to put their bodies on the line uh, as well, because in, when the first book movement happened, uh, there was uh, a walking away in some ways uh, from the movement uh, because Dr. King and Rabbi Heschel and Cesar Chavez and others dared to name three triple triple evils, systemic racism, poverty, and, and, and war. Uh, but today we say that those three plus two more, systemic racism, systemic poverty, ecological devastation, the war economy, militarism, and, and um, uh, the, the false heretical narrative of so-called Christian nationalism often uh, that, that distorts our moral narrative have to be challenged, but it has to be rooted in love, it has to be rooted in truth, and it has to be rooted in nonviolence because we cannot uh, become that which we challenge. Uh, and so, one of the, the to talk about um, of why the philosophy that undergirds our nonviolence uh, and our call for nonviolent direct action is number one: it, it, nonviolent direct action is 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 always uh, used and called for uh, when there is a deep moral crisis and an arrogance among those who are helping to perpetuate that moral crisis. Uh, when they, when the the politicians and others believe that they 
that their power can be used to run roughshod over the deep moral principles of our religious faith and our constitution. And when they do it with a certain arrogance and a certain uh, 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 um, uh, uh, disconcern, if you will, and for and 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 for many years, not just in the religion election of Trump, there has been an attention violence against the poor. Uh, for many years, we don't even hear the word poor mentioned in our political debates, our political conversation. Uh, we had an election in 2016, uh, 26 presidential uh, uh, pre um, debates, not one hour on poverty. Even though there, there's this small crisis of 140 million people living in poverty or, or working poor people right now in the richest country in the world. Over nearly 40 million people without health care. That's a crisis, it's a moral crisis. We're the only of the wealthiest 25 nations that do not provide universal or single payer health care. That's a crisis. Uh, that we live in a time now where clergy walked across the Edmunds Pettus Bridge in 65 with Dr. King and others and pushed for voting rights. And now the Voting Rights Act has been gutted. We have less voting rights today than we had in 65. We have had 20 to 30 states engage openly in voter suppression, which in some ways is the one single issue that is negatively impacting our democracy that we're not even talking about on the news. There's more talk about Russia and what they did than what happened through voter suppression uh, in this country. Thousands, millions of people impacted uh, their votes blocked. 35% of all people of color in Alabama have had their, have been blocked from voting because of racist voter suppression laws in Alabama today, not 50 years ago, crisis. Uh, people can buy unleaded water, gas can't buy unleaded water, crisis, crisis. Uh, we, we are spending 60 to 60% 60 of every uh, discretionary dollar to a war machine, and we can already blow the world up 45 times. Uh, that's a crisis, the war economy, but, more, but also the philosophy of war, the, the thing if you can big enough to take it, you can have it. And then this false moral narrative where we see publicly preachers and others going in and praying, P-R-A-Y-I-N-G, and consecrating a president while that president and others are praying, P-R-E-Y-I-N-G, on the poor and the least of these. When we can see Democrats always talking about the middle class and Republicans talking about the military and nobody talking about the poor, we have a moral crisis. And we believe moral crises of this nature require us as clergy to not merely preaching the side of our pulpits and synagogues and mosques, but to be willing to stand with people and engage in, in nonviolent uh, uh, direct action, fusion direct action. The second underpinning is we have met the steps. You know, there's six steps toward nonviolence. And this movement that Liz has helped to lead for years, that her and I teamed up a few years ago and went across the country uh, and doing uh, moral revivals and then help and help organize states that on a single day more than in more than 30 states 50 to 100 people delivered uh, a moral agenda a higher ground moral agenda we delivered it to the new president asked to meet with him and other religious leaders in a synagogue a mosque or a church never received an answer we've attempted to deliver it to the speaker of the house and the senate leader at the capitol and the police have told us we couldn't go visit them in those offices even though the people built those offices so there are six steps, and one of those steps is you have to at least let people know what your concerns are, what your grievances are, and attempt to negotiate. And we have, in fact, done those things. Um, 
nonviolent moral um, action and uh, direct action, civil disobedience, uh, is often needed to move the consciousness, the consciousness of the nation in order to break through the media cycle that otherwise will not even deal with the issues. If you tweet now, the media is not going to pick up. If you do 1,000, 200,000 emails, they don't pick up that. Uh, if you, um, um, sometimes even if you protest and just have a rally, um, it'll, it'll happen, but there'll be no real hearing, no real movement of the, of, of the conscious. In fact, um, the powers that be have gotten so sophisticated now that they assign protesters to certain spots and they're always behind the building somewhere outside of the range of the cameras. And they actually have, have, uh, created a, a kind of a, 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 a protest that um, they will accept. And the people can never uh, finally uh, only do what the powers that be will accept. Uh, this, this small nonviolent direct action also matches uh, our religious traditions. It matches our religious traditions. Uh, I can speak of that tradition as a Christian from both an Old Testament and a New Testament point of view. I could also talk about it from a Hindu point of view since I've been studying Gandhi and others for quite some time. But, but in, in the Bible, uh, Moses engaged in nonviolent direct action when Pharaoh uh, was, was willing went to, to um, oppress the people. Jeremiah, when he walked in and put on a wooden yoke, and then when they broke that, he went and got an iron yoke. That was nonviolent uh, direct action. Uh, the crying women of Jeremiah's day, who simply would just cry and cry and break the heart of the nation, you, that was a form of nonviolent action. Uh, Jesus, when he refused to use violence against violence and was willing even to be crucified on the cross as a revolutionary and not meet violence with violence and yet expose violence through the way of the cross is the way of nonviolence. Uh, the abolition movement, when you think about um, Henry David Thoreau, and one day he was asked the question when he was engaging in civil disobedience and nonviolent uh, direct action, would he repent of his actions? And, so, and, and Henry Thoreau said, the only thing I will repent of is for not asking the question sooner, what demons possess me to be so quiet in the face of so much justice, injustice? Uh, and you can go on down the line of those abolitionists who chose nonviolent direct action. You know, Frederick Douglass almost went with John Brown, but then he backed away and he chose nonviolent direct action to fight against the systems of slavery. Uh, and, and then you have the bonus marches, for instance, of the uh, 1930s. You have the women's suffrage marches, the early silent marches. All of these are forms of direct action, nonviolent di direct action uh, that were led from our religious tradition. You have, for instance, uh, in the book of Amos chapter 5, where the prophet actually is told by God to say, we're in a time when the poor are being exploited and the strangers are being hurt and the women and the children are being overlooked. And then in the time of, of where, where some people are throwing up their hands and say, asking the question, is it even worth it? And then God says to Amos, he says, I need you to go find a remnant of people who will shut down the malls and shut down the, um, 
uh, the, uh, the malls and the stores, uh, and this is a translation of from the Hebrew to the Message Bible, and will will literally bring things to a halt, and and will cause the nation to cry. It says it says that will engage in a national lament, uh, nonviolent direct action that will cause the nation to literally cry. And then the text says that God says, and if you will do this, if a remnant, not the whole nation, but a remnant will do this, then, then the text ends by saying, God says, then I will visit you and I will help you. So this business of engaging, this, this, this uh, need to many times uh, uh, engage in nonviolent direct action uh, is deep, root, deeply rooted uh, in our uh, religious tradition. It makes connections with great movements of the past and, and movements of the present. In the Mall Monday movement, uh, when, when, uh, when a state legislature uh, passed the worst voting laws that we've seen since the 1800s, denied health care, denied living wages, attacked the gay community, attacked Latinos, over um, uh, thousands of people in North Carolina came together and over 1,200 uh, were arrested <coughs> uh, uh, in the state houses. Uh, non-violently challenging, and this and and the, and the record has been written now that shows that after six weeks, the governor who was at sixty percent, the polls went to under forty, never recovered, and we never threw Molotov cocktails, we never picked up knives and cursed people out. We stood on our faith, stood in our tradition, stood in our on the basis of the Constitution, and then connected to that strategy a legal strategy and a political strategy, and thousands of people saw and what they wouldn't have seen if we had not exposed it uh, through nonviolent direct action. Clergy of all different faiths, Hindus, Buddhists, Christians, Muslims, Jews, would come in full uh, garb, full religious garb. Um, uh, people not of faith came together, women and children, uh, black and white. Uh, even 11% of Republicans in our state who, who said they were Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt Republicans chose to stand we watched doctors and wealthy people with health care stand with people that didn't have health care and engage in moral nonviolent direct action. And it shifted the consciousness of the nation, of the state. When we started, only about 40% of North Carolinians even wanted Medicaid expansion. By the time the uh, first uh, 14 weeks were over, and we went on for three years, by the way, but by the time the 14, first 14 weeks were over, over 60% of North Carolinians then understood health care, understood that how many people it was impacting and how many people would die because a part of our nonviolent actions was also deep public education and making sure people got the message. And after three years, we were able to win the biggest battle in recent history against voter suppression. So whether we look at the moral crisis or the, the need to move the consciousness of the country uh, our religious traditions and our past, uh, we believe that this is a season and a need for a time of moral, nonviolent, moral fusion, direct action, and that we are standing on good and strong philosophical, religious, and political, moral political grounds in order to engage. And, 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 and Reverend, would you have things to add to that? Thank you so much, Reverend Barber, and, and thanks to everyone for being on this, on this call. Um, I, I just wanted to, to add a little reflection, um, and then I'm looking forward for there being some time for Q&A. 
um, you know, we are approaching in the Christian tradition Palm Sunday. And if we look at a parallel between Dr. Martin Luther King's life and the last year and the last week of, uh, of Jesus Christ's life, we were just in Marks, Mississippi as a part of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival and organizing tour. And we met with the folks that led the mule train to Washington. And we, we posed to the folks in Marks, Mississippi, that 50 years ago, when they took mules and caravans to Washington, D.C., they were reminiscent of Jesus entering on a donkey Jerusalem for the Palm Sunday services. And then what Jesus did when he entered into Jerusalem, he went to the temple and he turned over the tables. He engaged in massive, nonviolent, direct action. He told that we needed to right the wrongs of society and that we needed to, to, to have a breakthrough. And so in this season, as we approach Palm Sunday, as we approach um, uh, Good Friday, and as we approach Easter Sunday, um, we, we can take great lesson from those, those actions and moral activism of, of, of Jesus, of Dr. King, and of people that are taking up this fight. For, for justice for all. You know, we're in the season in a little bit, and Liz made me think about this. In a few weeks, we will be at the date that Dr. King uh, and others um, were in Memphis. He was there because poor garbage workers were there. He had spoken his sermon in Riverside about war and militarism and racism. He had been abandoned by many people, black and white, and the church. He had pulled together 25 people, uh, including Cesar Chavez and Rabbi Heschel and others, to engage this poor people's campaign at that time. Uh, and um, and interestingly, you know, we, we well, he, to engage at that time, he chose to go to Memphis to stand nonviolently with garbage workers. Uh, the march turned violent because of infiltrators. He gave a speech. A lot of people talk about in the media and the commercial uh, commercialism in this country tries to make us hear what he said without us really hearing what was said. So they make us hear, I have a dream, but they don't let us hear about the nightmare. They make us hear about the mountaintop into the mountaintop, but not inside that speech where he says nothing would be more tragic than for us to turn back now. And we have to give ourselves to this movement no matter what happens, no matter what comes. Mm -hmm. On that next day, he was shot. And here we are, and even in this season, there are interests, corporate interests, that want to use the assassination anniversary of Dr. King to make money. <clears throat> they would love for us all to have big commemorations. The religious traditions that I'm familiar with say basically that it is a great form of hypocrisy to merely have a commemoration of a prophet's death. Jesus said it's like loving the tombs of the prophet, but we don't love the prophet with us now. 
And so what we've said is we don't need to have any more commemorations that are not connected to movement building. Because the only way you can honor the slain prophets is to go to where uh, the, the, they, they were killed and reached out in the blood and picked the baton up and carried further. If we have 140 million poor people in this country now working poor and poor, we cannot merely commemorate. We must pick up the baton and stand together now. And I could go on and on through a list of things that you can find. I hope you'll send it to them, Steve. The executive summary of the souls of poor folks audit that we have. Because we're not merely saying it's a crisis because of who recently got elected. We're saying we have a moral crisis and a moral malady that requires a deeply moral response because of what the state of this country is when you examine it through the lens of systemic racism, poverty, ecological devastation, the war economy, and the false moral narrative. We are headed down the wrong road. And we need, as Liz often says, what Dr. King says, he said we need ambulance drivers. We need moral defibrillators. We need people who are acting the deepest moral tradition to sound the alarm, change the narrative, and hopefully turn the nation away from this, this path that it's headed on. To some of the persons that are asking, as I see about the nonviolence in that piece, it should also be noted that um, there's a song that we use, comes from 68, it says, everybody has a right to live. And one of the reasons that the original Poor People's Campaign lifted that song up is because basically they were saying, whenever persons engage in the kind of political violence that can literally take people's lives, they are playing God. And there has to be a nonviolent moral response to that. You know, violence will always be turned in on a movement by the empire, and the empire will use violence of a movement to turn on that movement. It's going to challenge a movement even if you're nonviolent, but they'll do it even quicker and find easier ways to justify it if you're violent. But, but, what, but the point I wanted to make is we are seeing a level of attention violence in our policies. You know, we talk about, we admire these students that are saying, you killed 17 of our classmates, we're going to walk out of school. We're going to engage in nonviolent protests. And rightfully so. I'm going to be speaking to a group of them Saturday. But for my religious brothers and sisters on this call, there are 8 million people. There are 37 million people being denied health care. According to one study at Harvard, for every 500,000 people denied health care, 2,800 died. Not, not, not 170, not separate, 2,800 people died because of public policy. If we're walking out of school, and rightfully so, when people kill 17 children, and we know that there are policies in place that are killing thousands of people, the mailman school of public policy says 250,000 people, a quarter million people die every year from low income in this country. A quarter of a million people die every year in this country. That people are literally dying because of poisoning in their water and children are dying. And it's not sensationalism because it doesn't come up on a video. It's not a cop killing someone, but it's happening. Hundreds of people weekly.
And when that is happening, just like we should be in the streets when it comes to a cop killing an unarmed African-American or young unarmed Latino, just like we should be challenging the, the, the policies of death promoted by the NRA and those who want to use the Second Amendment to, to, to hold on to assault rifles that can murder people, we should also be taking on policy violence that is producing death and destruction unnecessarily, unnecessarily uh, in, in this country. So I wanted to just add that, Steve, that anybody on this call that is deeply bothered by violence, as Coretta Scott King said when somebody asked her about violence because her husband was assassinated, she said, violence is not just someone killing my husband with a gun. Violence is cutting public education. <clears throat> violence is denying a wage, and denying health care, denying culture, and denying equal protection under the law. And then she said, another form of violence is an apathetic attitude that refuses to challenge the other violence. So to engage in all nonviolent direct action and, and even civil disobedience is to make a choice that you will not participate actively or apathetically in the promotion of violence that we see through public policy. Thank you for listening. Visit poorpeoplescampaign.org for more information on the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival.